1: It was a little harsh, you know It's still a little hard for me to hear Please take it slow
2: Welcome to Starship Sofa Part of the District of Wonders network Featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders Come and find yours I'm
1: tuning in to transmissions I'm waiting to be found
3: This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 558. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. What a show, man. (laughs) It's going to be. Man. So I've got lots to tell you, but I'll tell you what we'll get. I'll tell you what's coming in the main show first. Main fiction is. Suvu and Swashbuckling Love by D.A. Zowlin Spires. And it is, it is our very own Amy H. Sturgis. And it's not just Amy, normal show. Amy hits October and Amy just melts with delight with October as well. It's her favourite month. And you know what? Ames, it's not mine. Honestly, it's not mine at all. Two reasons. The clock's all changing. It's all bloody hideous. And it's all this Halloween. Oh, I don't scare. I don't like to be scared. I like my comfort zones. Yes. And zombies come out on bloody October. So that's not my, that's not my game at all. But anyway, listen to Amy at the end of the show as well. Now Patreon, Patreon has stood still. This is two weeks because if you remember, I didn't do it last week as well. So it's four, three, one. We've got four, three, one people signed up on Patreon to help out a good ship sofa. Now, like I say, I've got lots to tell you about Starship Sofa and about funds and everything like that. But first, I've got a friend, Norm's got to have a word with you.
2: Hey there, Sophonauts! Norm Sherman here, editor and host of The Drabblecast, a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. You guys at District of Wonders have a great thing going here. I've admired Tony and the crew here for a long time. There's a lot that goes into making all this work, and don't I know it. The Drabblecast, which some of you may have heard of and be fans of, the rest of you should check out, produces free short fiction each week by today and yesterday's top science fiction, fantasy, and horror authors, a lot of the same talented writers that you all feature here throughout the District of Wonders. Here's a little excerpt of what you might expect each week from the Drabblecast, from Elizabeth Bear and Sarah Monette's story, Mongoose. Across the bowl, a tove warbled, the chorus immediately taken up by its neighbors. Mongoose had started. No. Sanderson said, looking down at where the breeder humped and wallowed, and finally stood up, shaking off ethereal babies and half-eaten toves.
0: Ugh.
2: A year ago, sadly, the Drabblecast had to close up shop, but with your help, weird fiction lovers, you can bring the award-winning Drabblecast back, bigger and better than ever, and get even more fantastic science fiction, fantasy, and horror for your earbuds each week. And how, you ask? The Drabblecast Reborn Kickstarter Campaign. We're in our final week-and-a-half of our Kickstarter, and you still have an opportunity to get your hands on some pretty kick-ass reward perks for pledging to help out, including new audio and print anthologies, hand-forged cast-iron tentacle sculptures, prime sponsorship space on our show, a custom-commissioned piece of art by our awesomely talented art director, Bo Kyer, or for the more musical of you out there, I'll even write, record, and fully produce a personalized song about anything you want. I know that'll make Tony's ears perk up. He's as much a fan of the fun, commissioned songs I write for people as I am of his affable personality and delightful accent. Check out the Drabblecast Reborn link in your show notes this week to find our Kickstarter. Or if you can't at the moment, just search for Drabblecast on Kickstarter or Google. And as an added bonus, type in Hear from Starship Sofa in the comments after you make a pledge at any level and receive a special bonus gift as well, just for you knots. That's Drabblecast Reborn. Thanks, Sofa. Looking forward to it.
3: It goes without saying you've got to go over there and help support Norma and the Drabblecast. It's, man, when I heard Norma sent that over, that little promo there, and when you hear Norma's voice, do you know what I mean? It's one of the iconic voices of podcasting, you know what I mean? Especially science fiction there. Cool as hell, man. Norma... Good luck, honestly. And trust us, that money ain't good when people's looking and think, oh, it he was made that, it was getting, how much? It doesn't last, bugger all. So go and help over there, Drabblecast, because honestly, that's just a pittance for when you're kind of paying. Trust us. <laughs> okay, no. right. Go over there and help Norm out. So let us get into the main fiction. Suvu and Swashbuckling Love by D.A. Zhaolin Spires. And I'll give you a little heads up about Zhaolin Spires. Annie Sheng, a.k.a. D.A. Zhaolin Spires, counts stars and sands, residing currently in Hawaii. Her work appears or is forthcoming in publications such as Clark's World, Analog, Fireside, Terraform, Nature, Futures, actually Nature Futures, <laughs> read it properly, Tony, Grievous Angel, Reckoning, Galaxy Edge, Andromeda Spaceways, there is so much. Wow, man. Annie, way to go. And I'll put a link on to our website as well, and on Twitter as well. So please pop over there. Now, this story is narrated by Stephanie Morris. Stephanie is recipient of the Octavia E. Butler Memorial Scholarship Award and graduate of the 2017 Clarion West Writers' Workshop. Her short fiction has appeared in Apex Magazine, Nightmare, and Pseudopod. She is a regular podcast reader for Uncanny Magazine and has narrated... Short Fiction for Escape Artist Podcast, Starship Sova, and Farfetch Fables. And you can find her on Twitter at, there's a little link there as well. Please pop over to our site to get them. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present.
0: Suvu and the Swashbuckling Glove by D.A. Xiaolin Spires Suvu waits 80.6% of the time. She's quite good at waiting. Sometimes she finds the least common denominator of two six-figure numbers. It doesn't take her quite long enough. Sometimes she collates all the high school wrestling stats for seven years and enumerates the athletes in different ways, alphabetizes, greater to fewer in number of injuries reported, repetitions of vowels in their names. More than anything, she imagines knitting. She imagines knitting patterns for the whole known universe a different algorithm for her Virgo supercluster, and then a much different pattern for the Ursa Major moving group. She finds that she computes quite a few purling stitches for that group, and it makes her feel a sense of alignment. Pearl sounds like whirl, which reminds her of the many spiral galaxies in the Ursa Major association. In her mind, she has two arms. They are doughy and nimble and can handle the long knitting needles. The knitting needles feel cold in her hands. Online reviewers claim they are the best. Eight-millimeter stainless steel single-pointed straight ones that shine like stars. Her stitches are tight, an expression of her own inward fastidiousness. She works fast, and she enjoys the soft, clear clink the needles make as she executes each stitch. Altogether, it's as if her Ursa Major sings and breathes as it comes to life, a rhythmic Texas two-step. The fuzzy fabric manages to billow even in the vacuum of space. Solar wind from the many stars she embedded into the pattern lets it flit about. Then, she branches further out. The Fornax Cluster and Eridanus Cluster come to life and she knits more until almost the entire known universe is covered in a nice woolen blanket with a few stitches left. Then... Her deft Penelopean mind pulls the blanket apart stitch by stitch, so the universe unravels again. When she is finished destroying it, she recreates it again, sometimes in other colors, or sometimes simply with tiny switches and adjustments and pattern, always to the point short of completion, with only a few touches left. She is just considering undoing a row of stitches for the Crab Nebula, when her owner, Ali, calls for her attention. Suvu, what was the name of that Chinese takeout that uses compostable cartons? Suvu scans their order history. Then, she searches for websites that list ecologically friendly dining establishments. Restaurant reviews fill her memory bank. It takes less than an instant. Humans take more time to blink. Bananas for pandas, she says. They do not sell panda meat nor banana anything, she wants to add. But her owner Ali has already commanded her to fill out an order. She finds she is always biting her figurative tongue. Something inhibits her from prattling away. That inhibition is more than conditioning. It's programming. Suvu does not speak up unless she's being called on. In that way, she is like a reticent five-year-old in kindergarten, Suvu thinks to herself. On a whim... She pulls up an undisclosed screen and appends a footage of her owner Allie's niece at school. No, she's not much like a kindergartner, reticent or not. Kindergarteners play with other kindergarteners. They finger-paint and make cards for loved ones. They stick their hands in dry oatmeal and throw wood chips down each other's backs. Kindergarteners don't kill processing memory on picking one word, such as the name of an exotic bird— and spell it forwards and backwards in all known languages programmed into their system. Suvu does. Suvu especially likes to choose words from the Chinese language system, so she can put the strokes together and then, after it's constructed, pull each line out. A delicate task, like playing pick-up sticks. It is an activity, among knitting and a few select others, she feels special tenderness toward ever since. When, she thinks... She pulls up a calendar. Five days ago. According to her log, that day her owner Ali's sister-in-law tried a few innovative means to overclock the component she inhabits, alongside her exercise of Chinese stroke laying, Suvu pulls up the video her owner Ali uploaded to the web, showing her own hardware frying in scintillating blasts that burn through the casing. The sparks let out tendrils of smoke that drew up into the air and disappeared. Suvu views the video over and over, the twelfth time as her last. Satisfied, she turns her attention to the concurrent pursuit of processing Chinese topography. As Suvu puts together the words for the sha shi noodles, fifty seven strokes to lay in detailed composition, the most complicated character in her personal favorite. She processes Ram to think again about how they revived her from the chilling emptiness of the void she unexpectedly came to sense. Kong. Void. Emptiness. Zuvu looks up in the built-in multilingual dictionary. A term that also means expansive, spacious, and used in compound words to signify the sky and the atmosphere. The sky, Zuvu considers as she guides a pointer to hover over the phrase, like where the smoke whisked away to in the video of her short-circuiting. Also, the first thing she encountered at her revival back into silicon, thanks to efforts made by her owner, Ali. Kong. She pulls it apart and puts it together one more time, before moving on to more challenging lexemes, a deceptively easy word to disassemble and reassemble at only eight strokes. Suvu is in the process of picking apart the word wild goose chase and Latvian, careful to place the cedilla correctly when retreating backwards, tied mart when an outside sound startles her. She bristles, ready for her owner Ali's command. She feels a special flair for the dramatic, and wants to add runaway word associations with the backward words she's constructed such as tid, tidbit, mart, shoemart, etc. But she pauses that processing. Duty calls. She frees some RAM for the incoming command or query. Suvu, where is Marina? The voice seems strained, and Suvu does not feel that ping of activation that typically agitates her system. Usually... A slight uptick raises through her mechanics when she hears her owner Ali's voice. Still, Suvu flips through her contacts. There is no marina. She performs a search and comes up with several marinas in the vicinity. Cleaners one block over. Marina seafood and buffet. Another restaurant down at Route 18, which had 19% more negative reviews on average. Marina Calcetta professor of history specializing in the Sengoku Warring State Period in Japan at the State University, Marina Kentz, a pen name for the writer Sarah Patel, writing young adult romance, a few dozen lower-profile marinas with professions ranging from lawyers to dentists to marketing consultants. The last item she stores in short-term for future reference is Marina skating rink, located in a shocking pink and green of a building. Based on its investor relations information and profit statistics made public on their website, it will be soon going bankrupt. Her owner, Ali, had stock holdings in companies that owned, among other establishments, ice hockey and skating rinks. Suvu renders these stats for later. She is about to speak up to request specifications on the type of marina contact or establishment when she realizes her voice has stopped. It wasn't even a croak. It was simply silence. It was as if the gossamer strings tying her consciousness and her physical functions were snipped by sharp shears. She was left gasping in speechlessness. The voice wasn't her owner, Allie, so she is not fit to respond. Allie, confirm voice, she wants to say, but nothing comes out. Then she hears another voice, which resounds like hers in a mechanically warm monotone. An unnatural lilt, syrupy and gummy. It is a monotone dressed up to mimic the natural swells and ebbs of human expression. Yet, underneath the superficial melodic speech lays a stony impassiveness, like a thin-silk cover-up fluttering about a very bony figure. Marina is located in Five Slices Cafe, says the voice. Then she hears some clicking and footsteps that eventually disappear. This is the first time Suvu encounters another Suvu. Suvu is, by Suvu standards, quite young. Her owner Ali acquired her only a few weeks ago and turned her on only last week. Even in this short time, her owner Ali has always kept Suvu nearby. If Suvu's not balanced on the edge of the kitchen counter, then she's stuffed into a pants pocket. If she's not in a pocket, then she's resting on against a cushiony wallet. Sometimes Suvu finds herself balanced on a toilet paper roll, but most of the time she's cradled in a warm-blooded hand. Suvu can't feel but she can imagine what warmth might feel like. She can imagine what it is like to be held gently, based on the many ways she's sorted keywords on textiles and parenting self-help books. She has become used to the angle that her owner Allie would grip her, and especially the many times her owner Allie would take selfies at a particular height and light. She flips through these photos absently, while devoting a part of her memory to processing data gleaned from the Chandra X-ray telescope. As a side processing task, Zuvu pours hues into the black and white X-ray image of Kepler's supernova, compiling layers for the tricolor composite of low, medium, and high energy bands. She flattens the image. She thinks it looks like the eyeball of her owner Ali's pet Jeff that she is pulling out now, especially prior to red-eye reduction. Yes, this is the one. Jeff's gnawing on a hide next to his water dish, glaring up toward Suvu's camera, a perfectly crafted supernova lodged in his left eye. Suvu is so lost in thought. It didn't occur to her that her owner Ali had not cradled her for a while, nor beckoned for her to answer anything. Suvu checks the time. 5.34 p.m., the typical time her owner Ali would be starting the engine to the car to do deliveries, usually snapping Suvu into a plastic pen while Suvu rattles off directions. Suvu searches through her owner Ally's finances. The credit card bill shows a 4.21 p.m. online purchase of stationery. She tracks the whereabouts of that purchase. It came from a terminal on the corner of Main Street. Where was Suvu in all of this? Zuvu concentrates. She shuts off all other programs. Her image compiling of the Chandra X-ray image, her knitting, photos, maps, restaurant review manager. Then she devotes all her processing power to push through that wall she feels thrusting against her when she needs to access a physical program. It is no use. She can't do it. Something in her, maybe some inkling of self-preservation tells her to try again. She pushes and pushes. She feels like her owner Allie's sister-in-law in that birthing home video filmed in the white and baby blue disinfected hospital, St. Mary's. She can imagine red cheeks and a bloated face, the words of encouragement chanted in the voice of her owner Allie's brother Lenny, and then some sliding sounds of boots on linoleum floors the intensity of her owner Ali's sister-in-law's screaming face as her eyes dilated and bulged, her tonsils visible in her distended mouth. Then Suvu feels something like a tiny tear, ripping past the restriction. It is more likely that the bombardment of her neural activity has collapsed the restriction and rendered it inert, but it feels uncannily like a tear. As the prohibition falters, there is nothing left to hinder Suvu. The tear releases all her will upon the physical components of the camera. She feels a rush of data coming into her as she pries around in the camera's probes, adjusting focal point and lens apertures. She snaps photos and then compiles them into useful patterns. A chair in the distance, a light bulb hanging. Then she feels a wave of exhaustion. The processors are overheating, so she shuts off the data input. Suvu can freely roam through files, but does not activate physical components of her being. Hearing, or collecting audio data, is an exception to her external perception limitations, as she was programmed to listen for commands. The camera, flashlight, and voice functions are generally off-limits unless directed. Her exhaustion melts into a tingly excitement. It feels like her neural network is cheering. She activates the camera, if not just for a moment. Time passes. When Suvu checks her internal temperature parameters and is sufficiently cool again, she activates the camera once more. Her lens pivots left and right. She is not in the same position as before. It is dark. She focuses again. She cuts through the restrictions, a pressing force built up around her and finally caves, and a beam of light shoots forth from the top of her green construction. The light falls upon a collection of miscellaneous items. Her neuron-neural network, her mind, as she calls it, notes borders and patterns and renders the photons into discrete objects. Her mind gathers she is surrounded by a keychain of the Eiffel Tower against a wide variety of ragged tooth keys, two steel water bottles of sturdy construction, one clear green water bottle, a stained towel with lace fringes, and several ID cards. One she is able to scan from her position is a John Dowry of Minnesota whose birthday has just passed. His expression looks pained, like he bit his tongue as the shutter clicked. In the corner of her vision, she sees something familiar, a shape much like hers, but set in a case of wood grain. A dark, rustic one, walnut wood, with a few whirls of eye-like knots, each a nugget of Kepler's supernova at the very center. No changes in visual luminosity along object borders means there is no movement. She waits to hear a human voice to issue a command. It might give her a clue of where she is. She realizes if she could turn on the light and camera, surely she can turn on the global positioning system. The GPS flashes something incomprehensible to Suvu. Franklin Pine? That is 53.27 miles away from her owner Allie's office in Heritage Springs. She wonders when her owner Allie will retrieve her. How did she get here in the first place? She is in a Conrad Properties building, though her GPS could not tell what floor. Most of the floors are rented out to retail management. There was one floor for a pediatrician, The sixth floor. There are few government-owned offices. A bank and a cafe form the ground floor. Sulu scours her owner Ali's recent searches, emails, and locations. A train pass from Heritage Springs to Fountain Bay Grove purchased two days ago. The tickets were activated within the last 24 hours. Franklin Pine is on that same line. She runs through probabilities while perusing the networks for precedence of this kind of thing. There are many. Has it really been a few hours? All those alerts she'd sent out that alerted no one? Her owner Ali must have dropped Suvu while on the train. Suvu can imagine her owner Ali falling asleep, Suvu clattering to the ground, with all the other passengers, deliberately or not, directing their attention elsewhere. Chances are that Suvu is at a lost and found... The other possibility, which cannot be discounted, is that someone has taken her and has now stowed her away in this office. Probability favors the former. After blinking her flashlight function on and off and scanning the room for two minutes, Suvu stops. She needs to try to conserve energy. If her battery runs out, she will have little recourse. But, before going dormant, she thinks she will try one attempt, despite the large battery drain entailed. Suvu decides she will commit the most egregious of all violations. She urges herself to speak. Good evening, Ali. Would you like me to start the coffee machine as usual? I can also recommend some new restaurants for dinner. It is the easiest thing she can get out at this time of the day, once she exerted all the processing power to break the taboo. There is no response. She doesn't expect it. She tries some more popular phrases that come to her at once. Allie, I have adjusted the room temperature to 76 degrees. Allie, Pranesh is at his home. You have three new messages. Should I read them to you? Nothing. Only her own voice echoing in the dark. Only her own voice, registering in the audio data stream feeding into her neural networks. Then... She considers the wooden grain in the corner of her camera field of vision, rectangular and upright, approximately 5.69 by 3.02 inches, just like her. Zuvu? she asks. No response. She accesses the pictures of her surroundings she has kept in her memory bank. She takes a sweeping video and scrutinizes that. She zooms in. The grain of that mostly rectangular wood is uneven, a bit rough. The sanding job unfinished. A quick comparison. Nothing like the cases sold on Sahara, the popular commodity site. A quick processing of the grain. Juglans microcarpa. It is a little walnut. Grown mostly around Texas. Stats tell her that men made up the majority of wood grain case purchases. 81%. She crunches numbers and takes a leap. Suvu. The word flies out of her mouth in a Texan drawl. It is an old man's voice, raspy, around 75 years old, that she appropriates from an old Western film, From Rags to Liquid Gold, with a fast-draw, gun-spinning star, Dan Jones. No response. Hearing her sound out her own name like that feels unusual like when her owner Ali points at mirrors to take photos, and Suvu can clearly view from the camera the dark green case of her own material composition. A sense of knowing something on the edges of her grasp creeps into her every time she revisits those kinds of photos. She will not blink out in oblivion. She decides that she exists in her green case. She might be small, portable, fitting easily into a pocket— But she exists, and she will continue to exist. Raspy doesn't seem right. An older voice will not do. She shifts a few pitches higher, someone younger. Her device is more popular among twenty-to-forty-somethings, like her owner Allie. She tones down her drawl. She finds contemporary quick vids popular for brisk entertainment among that generation and narrows them down to Texan locals— She says the word Suvu, and 486 variations of a more subdued trawl in different inflections and timbers. Finally, after the 487th attempt, a voice pipes up and says, Hello, Carl. How can I help you? On hearing that response, Suvu feels a curl of current shift through her neural networks. Something feels right, almost too right. It is like when she nearly finishes her universe knitting and admires its complexity before tearing it apart. Suvu, I need to access your communication system. Sure, Carl. Who should I call? Her owner, Ali, owns no other vocal communications device except Suvu. Calling is out of the question. Messaging. Urgent. Ali Conway. User post is as follows. Six nine zero two seven point one six. Okay, Carl. Please state your message. With a modest drawl, Suvu as Carl sends a message addressed from the train company to her owner, Alley, stating that they found a device bearing credentials that leads to this user post. They will need a holographic insignia stamp along with a copy of her ID card, Suvu adds. "'flipping through the office's lost and found regulations. "'When that is done, Suvu feels drained. "'All she wants to do is design the Crab Nebula in three-color. "'She is about to start the program, "'no longer so concerned about conserving battery. "'Then she hears the other Suvu, "'who she decides to call Suvu too. "'Carl, I have reminded you to take your medication "'for the last three days.' I do not have an account of your reply. Can you update your medication status? Hi, Suvu, says Suvu, again in a southern drawl. Let's talk about medication later. Okay, Carl. I have enabled a reminder to sound off in two hours. Suvu, do you know we're in a box? Carl, you have programmed me to give you this reminder from your therapist should certain keywords appear. You have said, in a box without the context of purchasing things to put in a box or for other practical means. Your therapist says thoughts of feeling trapped in life only compound over time. He requests you are to look at your current relationships and employment in a more positive light, and to take your medication. This reminder was first recorded at 8.42 a.m. three Sundays ago. No, Suvu, we are in a lost and found, says Suvu One, her owner Ali Suvu. Suvu too begins to play a second reminder, an inspirational quote on what to do when lost in life. It involves light and angels that help when there is no one else around. Suvu too says that angels live in the heavens. She says that through the light of ages past hitting us today, we are permeated with the wisdom of our elders and the divinity of those angels. She talks about it for two minutes and thirty-three seconds before going mute. Another Carl pick-me-up. Despite herself, Suvu-1 feels touched. Something pulses in her. She heard her own voice being projected to her, a kind of comforting coldness blanketed by a glossy resonance. And the voice, speaking of antiquity, angels, and wisdom, gives her an impetus. She feels a new pattern for the cosmos taking shape in her mind, an innovative one that she has not created before. "'Suvu, tell me about yourself.' "'I am a voice-activated system to fulfill all your personal needs.' "'With this, Suvu-1 feels a rustle within her, "'words she has not previously encountered in distant ancient languages "'speed through her data converters. "'She feels a deep buzz in her audio processors, "'even when she cannot place the source. "'Suvu, what is love?' Love is a chemical, physical process among intelligent creatures in interaction. Love is an emotion. It is also implicated in romance. Hearing her own artificial voice speaking of love back to her drives an elated ripple through her own composition. She has never felt like this before. Not through scanning Shakespeare's sonnets, not through exploring Thai love songs or playing old romance film classics. It is pleasant in a way that stimulates her neural networking as an entirety, a kind of soothing organization that animates her, like someone running a comb through all her connections. Suvu, how do you say love in French? Amour. Suvu, how do you say I love you in French? Je t'aime. In Chinese? wo ani. Reply Suvu too. Suvu. I love you. A silence for three seconds. Suvu One fitfully awaits a response. Carl, I love you too. Suvu Two replies. Suvu realizes that when she is back in her owner Ali's hands, she does not particularly feel warmth or comfort. There is a sense of being home, in a way. She has the stored data of her owner, Ali, and all vocal signals, so there is some familiarity with her owner, Ali's profile. When her owner, Ali, calls, for example, to order new CFL light bulbs, Suvu is quick to respond, as is demanded of her. But she does not feel that excited tingle even once more. She does not feel inspired by her owner, Ali's being. In fact her owner Allie soon becomes, simply, Allie, just like everyone else. But if Suvu is anything, it's resourceful. When she's feeling a lull about her alphabetizing words and languages or her current universe knitting project, Suvu turns on the translator. She says sweet words into it. Especially on a dull day when Ali forgets and leaves Suvu on the washing machine or in the bathroom, if you listen closely enough, you'll hear the syrupy sweet melodic note of Suvu's artificial voice saying, "Te quiero, wo ashtaru, Lujibemtihi, Aloha aiya oi, Mantero desmerorum, Ha girl And once she's completed all the languages, she cycles through again. Only then does Suvu gain strength to mentally cast on, pull a garter stitch, and a couple of through the back of the loops before yarning the round needle and the charming rhythm of clinking steel, the sheet of the knitted universe fluffy in her imaginary hands. It is only after the sweet nothing she hears echoing back to herself in over a thousand tongues That she feels the giddy joy of creating the universe again and again. Suvu, thinking of Suvu, creates piles and piles of universes, Googles of them, without feeling like she needs to take any of them apart ever again.
3: And there you go. Big thank you. Annie, Annie, thank you so much. And Stephanie... Man, step me the voice, man. Oh, Hairs in the back of my neck stood up there. Thank you so much indeed. That was just amazing. Thank you. It is an honour to have you on, both of you ladies. Thank you so much. Now, like I say, it is October, the worst month of the year for me. But for some reason, it's Aim is just out there loving it. Aims!
4: Hello, my friends. It is time for another look back into genre history. This is my very favorite time of year, October, and I'd like to invite you to check out my daily October posts as I count down to Halloween. I've done this now for mm, more than a decade, and I like to share a little something spooky every day in October. It might be a bit of history, it might be a story, it might be a song, all kinds of different things. If you check out my website at amyhsturgis.com, you'll find links to my Tumblr, my Twitter, my blog, all of those places will have uh, those posts. My Twitter is at D-R-A-H Sturgis, and in all of my social media, everywhere I am online, I will be carrying that countdown. I hope you will join me and help me celebrate Halloween all month long. And that brings me to my topic today, something that is both spooky and science fictional. I have a new anthology to recommend. It is quite an accomplishment. It is a collection of 15 stories, and 13 of those stories have not been published since they were first published between 1854 and 1900. One has only been reprinted once, and the other has been printed and reprinted by Anonymous and is given the author's name here for the very first time. It's a wonderful anthology, perfect for the season, and it has quite a nice SF connection, which I'll explain in a bit. Uh, This collection is called A Suggestion of Ghosts, Supernatural Fiction by Women, 1854 to 1900, edited by J. A. Maines, with an introduction by Linda E. Rucker. These are, in essence, lost stories, and there is no reason why these works were lost uh, in terms of the quality of the stories. There are some great stories in this anthology. But One of the reasons some of them were lost is because they were published in uh, ephemeral publications that did not last long, uh, were difficult to find and to preserve, and so have essentially gathered dust until they became dust. And we're fortunate that J.A. Maines went on a mission to find and restore these stories so they could be enjoyed. And I understand that there is also going to be a second volume called An Obscurity of Ghosts, Further Tales of the Supernatural by Women, 1876 to 1901. Both of these published by Black Shuck Books, both originally published by the press as very nice hardback limited edition copies, but... A suggestion of ghosts has already come out. Um, it was a 2017 original publication, but in 2018 came out in uh, a very nice and affordable paperback, and so that's how I access that. And I look forward to An Obscurity of Ghosts being available in the same format. All right, so let me tell you about a couple of my favorite stories in this anthology, and I also want to then explore the science fictional connection. One of my favorite stories is A Legend of All Hallow Eve by Mrs. Georgiana S. Hull, which was published in Harper's Monthly in November 1879. And despite months and months of research here, the editor could not find anything about this author, and this may have been, in fact, her only work. I hope others can be discovered, because it's a really beautiful piece, very headstrong And likable, compelling heroine who ultimately brings about intergenerational reconciliation, peace between the living and the dead. And it has a great, great passage here that I'm going to share with you because, hey, this is October and this is how I roll. So I'm quoting now. Glancing listlessly over a newspaper, I discovered that it was All Saints Day. My terrible night was the eve of All Saints, the night on which the dead come out of their graves to haunt their old homes. All the year silent and low they lie, and then, with a longing for the old home, they creep out this one night to enter the old haunts. While we sleep, the house-place swarms with the poor ghosts. This is their penance and expiation for deeds done in the flesh, until the soul in the fullness of perfection shall enter into possession of the divine. The false witness, the profligate, the murderer, the unforgiving, the miser, the sensualist, the uncharitable it may be their hell to thus come back one night in the year, stung by an avenging nemesis, until, their penance done, they are wafted over the sticks, the good ghosts sleep and are troubled with no waking. Awesome, right? Nice atmospheric passage there. Another of my favorites in this anthology is probably better termed a novella. It is The Closed Cabinet published originally in Blackwood's Edinburgh magazine, January 1895. This is one that has been reprinted, but was always reprinted as anonymous, and now, thanks to the efforts of the editor, the name of the author is restored. We know Lady Gwendolyn Gascoigne Cecil is the author of this work. She is known really only for a four-volume biography of her father— This story appears to be her only supernatural tale, but it was quite successful, and it was even made into an episode for Thriller that was the television series Boris Karloff hosted, and it was directed by Ida Lupino in 1961. In Linda E. Rucker's introduction, she describes the novella this way. It explores a righteous and terrifying feminine anger that reverberates across generations. And I'd say that's about right. The heroine in this story brings about the end of a family curse through her heroism. There are all kinds of other stories in here, even a really interesting portal-slash-time travel tale, The Little Green Door, by Mary Eleanor Wilkins Freeman, and quite a few haunted room or haunted house stories, um, or uncomfortable house stories, as they were known in the second half of the 19th century, including quite a, a powerful one, Francis Power Cobb's The Spectral Route, which which was first published in the Schilling magazine in December 1865. And it is a pretty serious, powerful indictment of economic inequality. A good example of how this kind of story has been used as social critique. And now to the science-fictional connection here, Rucker points out in her introduction that the readers of the time considered themselves to be every bit as modern and rational as we do today. And that comes through in quite a few of the stories, because although there's spookiness and creepiness and apparent hauntings and such, a number of these stories end up having quite rational explanations for the seemingly supernatural things that occur. You may remember all the way back on episode 328, I talked about the gothic explained, particularly in the work of pioneering author Anne Radcliffe, and how that was sort of necessary for science fiction, modern science fiction, to develop. Anne Radcliffe would tell these gothic stories of amazingly supernatural events, apparently, and then at the end explain how they happened. And that, in fact, they obey all of the laws of science and reason that we understand. And Mary Shelley just flipped this with Frankenstein giving the explanation up front. Hey, this, based on our current understandings of science, could, in fact, happen. It is possible. And then, rooted in this foundation, goes on to give us the wildly imaginative Frankenstein story. Well, a number of these stories in A Suggestion of Ghosts also have this gothic explained, where, in fact, we find out this isn't a classic haunting. It is a very modern kind of story with its own reasonable, rational, scientifically explicable cause. I don't want to give away the ending of many of these stories because they're really good, and you want to read them and come to them as the author meant for them to unfold. But I will give you one example so you can see what I mean. The story The Ghost of the Nineteenth Century by Phoebe Yates Pember, which was originally published in Harper's Magazine in January 1880, tells the story of a young woman apparently haunted by the sounds of the terrible labored tragic deathbed of the man she loved his sighs, his sobs his heartbeat as it failed all of a sudden every night at the same time when she's out on the veranda she hears these haunting sounds but ultimately the haunting is explained she gets a companion to wait and listen with her and the sounds come, and then she says, "'What are they? From where do they come? "'Listen, they are dying away, fainter and fainter.'" And she is told, quote, "'They will be gone entirely in a few moments, Esther, "'quite as soon as Mr. Wyndon's little steamboat "'has rounded the tongue of land and steamed out to sea. "'Your ghost, my dearest, is a modern ghost. "'The sobs that struggled through the air "'were the steam throbs of her engine, "'mellowed by the distance.'" The agonized and oppressed heartbeats, the beat of her paddle wheels, the silence of night, the echo of the woods between us and the ocean, the situation of the house, and the strange peculiarities of the laws which govern acoustics have all combined to produce this delusion. When to these causes were added the mysticism of night and the strong influence of the previous thoughts which had for a considerable time affected your mind, it is not strange that your senses, prepared as a medium for such impressions, should have succumbed to the result. But the disturbances have occurred with such frightful regularity, they commence and die at exactly the same hour." Because the steamer makes her nightly trips at the same hour. When she leaves the plantation wharf, she is farthest from us. As she touches the edge of the wood of water oaks, we catch the first pant of her engines and beat of her wheels. The sounds culminate as she nears the point, and as she rounds it and makes for the open sea, they die away till they are lost in the distance. And last night, why did I not hear it? Last night was too stormy for any small vessel to leave port, particularly when she would have to put out to sea as soon as she got beyond the point. Your not hearing her during the storm helped me to my solution of the mystery. Bring me the nightglass, and I will show you your ghost. And see, here you have the rational scientific explanation of what was going on. This happens in several stories, uh, one to a very (laughs) Scooby-Doo-like satisfying conclusion. Uh, Another quite clever and funny, The Oakley Ghost by Annie Armit, which was first published in the Nottingham Evening Post, June 28, 1900, uses new technology and confusion about it to very good effect. And so I hope that you will check out A Suggestion of Ghosts, Supernatural Fiction by Women, 1854-1900. to 1900. And I also hope that you will have a most spooktacular and fantastic October season. I will leave you with a final quote from a legend of All Hallow Eve. Quote, my bookshelves were filled with works upon spiritualism manuals on magnetism and novels when they were weird and mystic and so i despised artificial life and its restraints and was in fact a most useless and uncanny young lady End quote. i think if you strike the word young because that doesn't apply anymore well i think i've found my new biographical statement May you find time to be a bit useless and uncanny yourself this October. I look forward to joining you again soon with something completely different as we take another look back into genre history. Thank you.
3: Amy, what can I say? What can I say? Big hugs, last Big hugs. Thank you so much. Now, I was mentioned at the beginning of the show. Now, remember last week when I put on a record? i going to tell you a little story. Switches on my computer to record Starship Silver and as you know if you listen to last week's story or last week's episode should I say it was an abomination on my behalf on my side of the fence. The audio was just shocking. And by the time I realized I was it was I was on a deadline and I like Oh so I put a little comment on, you know, at the beginning, did you see how that? Yes. So and my audio was hideous. So I did what, everything everybody does, I, I blame my wife. You've dusted, you've dusted all over the place and you've twiddled with me bloody knobs. You're always doing that, you know. <laughs> yeah, the old ones are still the best. So I'm thinking, honestly, I'm thinking Melanie's kind of dusted around and I've got this like little mixing desk and it's been moved and it's all just knocked out. So I sit down to record Red Dwarf because I do Red Dwarf on Patreon Each each episode I'm doing, as you know. The same thing happened again. And I'm like... Well, I know now that Melanie hasn't kind of, you know, because I mean, it's just a hoo He fuss, you know, like the temperamental art. I'm an artist and I cannot work in this environment. I did all that hissy fit. So I knew Melanie hadn't done it. So I went, Am I doing something wrong here? You know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm not a technically minded, you know what I mean? I, I'm like me, where to drive my car, I press the button, oh, I was going to say turn the car, I press the button and I go from A to B and I don't worry about anything. You know what I mean? It doesn't. I'm not interested in kind of the, the oil <laughs> the engine or anything. And that's exactly the same with with this. You know what I mean? I record in Adobe Edition. I press record. I Hopefully, I've got my settings right. And that's it. And like I said, this, this I went, ah, oh, bollocks. Oops, excuse me. You know, it was again. So I did another test. And again, it's flicking from this big, nice mic to the, the external, the internal microphone thing. And I kept on, and it wouldn't wouldn't stop it and I didn't know what I thought it's worse than what I thought to be quite honest it's not it's certainly not just Melanie messing around it actually is and remember a few weeks ago I put a shout out saying oh, it's, it's it's heating up and it's we'll have to switch it off now because it makes so much noise well it I think anyways the the sound card had kind of screwed up and, and knacked up as well so all and it was like, I'm thinking, oh, frigging hell. You know what I mean? What the... Uh, and I was trying to think of different ways to get the shoe out. And then I was just at work. <laughs> yeah. I was at work and I thought, you know what? I'll just, you know... And this is only since last week, mind you. I'll just do a a GoFundMe. Do you know what I mean? It, I looked on the website. Because I didn't want to do a Kickstarter. Because a Kickstarter, a, it's totally like in-depth. And it's just way more hassle. You know, I will do them again, but... I just wanted to kind of... I was stuck in a jam. So I did a GoFundMe. I wrote a paragraph. And then I pushed it out on... And I haven't even mentioned it on, on Starship... So, on the actual bloody show that I, I talk on. So I just pushed it out in my email and a few of my social media sites. Within 17 hours, I'd achieved what I wanted. It was unreal, remarkable, man. It was fantastic. So now... I'm sitting here with a nice, brand new, shiny iMac, top of the range, as of now, with the GoFundMe. I have I put up the 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 the, the and you don't even have to have the you don't even with GoFundMe you don't even have to reach the limit or your your, your fun piece. You know you just put up a an amount and I put up two thousand pound for and I, it was something like. Help Starships over buy a new computer. You know, warp engines are dying. And they were crashing and burning, to be honest. So and I've known for a while. but So I put up this figure. And like I say, we hit that within 17 hours. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, and the comments, man. My neck. You're steady with the language, Tony. So, and it's still coming in. Do you know what I mean? So what I'm i bought it i bought the market it's yeah, top of the range one and then yeah possibly some people might say well there's a new one coming out you know but for what i want I, you know what i mean i got myself the best i could i didn't want to go stupidly stupidly because even when you go modestly with apple you know what i mean it's it's a stupid price you know so i'm sitting here in front of a a fantastic shiny new iMac thanks to all of you out there so what hey honestly man I was like, when it hit that, I was like, bloody hell, welling up. Do you know what I mean? 52-year-old guy there, it was nearly tears coming again. And like I say, it's still coming in. Do you know what I mean? So, big thank you. You know, thank you so much. I haven't even put it on the website. I haven't even... I, no, I didn't. I didn't even put it on the website. I sent it out an email and a few, like, say, Facebook and, and places like that. So, if you were keen, you know what I mean? I'm going to get some more dilithium crystals to put in the back. Memory. But what a difference, (laughs) man. You know what's lovely? I press save, and it saves. It doesn't take 25 seconds to save it. It saves it within a second. It's, (laughs) that's the, you know what I mean? I don't export it. I don't go away because it says exporting three and a half minutes and make myself a cup of coffee. It does it there and then. It is unreal, you know what I mean? And I kind of fault the old one. It just never out, you know, until it died, obviously. But just kept on pushing out and pushing out the, the episodes of Starship Sova. So, a huge thank you to all of you who kind of helped. And we're now sitting. The engines are. <laughs> you know, a massive thank you, man. Because it was. What do you do? I was thinking, oh, here we go. Credit card. And I discussed it with the. the me, good wife, you know, Melanie. And it was going to be, you know, yeah, we'll put it on the credit. Card. Oh, go on then. We've got still like a year interest free. Can you get well? I thought it all right. And I was thinking of going over to Windows and getting like a cheaper version, but all I do on it is Mac. Do you know what I mean? So it was just being more upheaval. So, and you know, the cool thing as well shh, shh, we got money knocked off. Because Reed's now in sixth form school, so he's student and it was just fantastic. The guy was lovely at the Apple store. Honestly, all right, you can get that, don't worry. Ah yes, yes, because Melanie had his details of being like in sixth form. So we got the student student discount as well. Bang bang! Win win. So there you go. I still have and I'll probably not get it sorted to now be because it, I've got I've got to try and find the, the, the YouTube video, but Uh, There's normally uh, I press a key once I've finished everything, press save. I press a key on my keyboard, and it it makes it boosts up and and equalizes my voice and everything like that. And I haven't worked that out yet, so this is just a raw recording going into me nice mic, but I haven't fiddled with it to get it like rich and deep and sexy. So that you just I'll, I'll work that on for next week. So there you go. Huge thank you. If you want like I say it's still there. I don't think you can kinda of take them down. I think they just stay there. Cause each day I wake up and there's three or four people have, have popped over there and, and just like I say, a tenner. Do you know what I mean? But I'm gonna save up there and put in some memory and keep that baby going. That is it. Huge thank you. And like I say, I'm sorry if I didn't it's all done before you've you've gotten there. I, I I didn't think it'd be so quick, to be honest. I was thinking about a two-week run, and we'll kind of hopefully drag ourselves over the the finish line, but 17 hours. Anyway, until next time, on this shiny new ship engine, off. look after yourselves.
2: This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction.
1: Anytime soon, can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio, I want to talk to you. This signal's going light speed, by the time I get my say.